Thank you, Simon. Um, yes, I, uh, I'm Tom. I oversee the worship team here. Uh, but more recently, we've been trying to call it the worship family. Um, not that we're not a team uh, together, not that we're not a group, uh, but we really want to see an emphasis on building family between us. So brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and fathers to one another. And um, that's something which we're going to be looking at and exploring a little bit as we go through uh, the talk today. The, the, the title of the talk, Outrageous Worship Together Here and Together Apart, is about the fifth title this talk's had. Um, Outrageous Worship Together as a Family was one of them. But I just felt like that, that the title we've got is the one that really uh, nails exactly what we want to talk about today. Uh, we've heard six fantastic, engaging and provoking talks over summer based, on, based in the Psalms. And a response, I suppose, to a prophetic word from Julian Adams, which mentions this phrase, outrageous worship. Julian says, uh, you will usher in my reign, talking God's reign, in the context of outrageous worship. It will mark this church, shift atmosphere, and replace spiritual strongholds. And each week we've heard how outrageous worship can be worked out in this context. So Paul kicked us off with thinking about wherever we are, there is nowhere we cannot worship God. Joe then marks the church with three keys of outrageous worship when it just doesn't quite seem fair. Simon then uh, spoke on worshipping when it doesn't seem like anyone else is or when no one else actually is worshipping. Richard then spoke on the impact of our worship on others. Paul then come, came back in with, a, with another uh, talk on giving thanks and rejoicing when things are going well. Um, you might remember the title for that one was All's Tickety-Boo. Um, and last week, John, uh, worshipping and finding joy even though we sin. How on earth do we do that? And these talks, I really would commend you to go and listen to them and absorb them if you haven't heard them all. Because what I want to do today is not finish this series in a sense or cap it off or even think that I have the audacity to bring it all together and to say, and this is how outrageous worship looks in this church. Because the Psalms ooze worship and the talks that we've had have oozed the Psalms. But there is no end to outrageous worship. There's no end to it, and I think that's the point of what we're looking at today. But what I want to do is to shed a little bit of light on a revelation that I think God's given me about worship in this church. But one way that I believe God is marking the church, he's shifting the atmosphere, and he's replacing spiritual strongholds through outrageous worship. I want to caveat that with the fact that I don't think or believe that we have it completely sorted in this church. We're not the perfect church of worship um, and not that every other expression of worship across the different churches around the country is a copy or is not able to shift atmospheres or, you know, is a stronghold. But I just want to challenge us today as Jubilee and encourage us as well in this family here today, in our way of worship. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into what God has got for us today. Father, I thank you so much that we can come freely on a Sunday morning and throughout the week to worship you, to give you glory together as a family and together as a people on the move. Father, I just pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you would come and you would uh, inspire us and encourage us 
and open our eyes to your uh, scripture this morning. Would you come amongst us? Would you breathe your life into these words? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be... um, I'm going to go a little bit rogue. Uh, We are going to look at Psalm, but I also want to look at the context that the Psalm is written in for a little while as well. So we're going to start in Psalm 96. So if you have your Bibles with you or um, anything else, I haven't got a PowerPoint today. Uh, I just haven't. There's no excuse. Um, (laughs) I didn't didn't make one. Um, So Psalm Psalm 96... um, is a psalm uh, in, in, in my, uh, my version of the Bible, which I'm going to be reading from, which is the ESV. It says this, uh, Worship in the Splendor of Holiness is the title that they've given it in, in this version of the Bible. And Psalm 96 says this in the ESV, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. What a psalm. (laughs) What an exhortation of praise to God. And there is so much to explore in there, and we will. Uh, But like I said, I want to draw out two points out of the passage where we see this psalm elsewhere in the Bible and discover this build-up to this outpouring of praise and where it's come from. So if you've still got your Bibles open, uh, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, back in the Old Testament. And we'll see in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 23 to 33. 1 Chronicles 16, 23 to 33. There it is. There's the psalm. It's not quite exactly as it is in the psalms, but scholars reckon that it's been taken from the Chronicles and placed into the psalm, into the book of Psalms. almost identically to what it is. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. The, then there's the bit about ascribing and then the bit about the, the seas roaring and it all uh, and the fields exulting. So let's have a look. Going back from 1 Chronicles 16, 23 to 33, let's have a look back to see what has happened and what has led to this song of praise 
being written. And as Simon said earlier, what we're going to have a look at is a bit of a drawing it out for us here today, a bit of a worship family manifesto, if you like. So the four chapters before chapter 16 are all based around the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant contained a number of items. It was a box that the Israelites carried around and uh, had with them. It was a box containing a number of items which were sacred and served as the presence of God. Now, I was having this discussion with Simon the other day, walking back and dropping our children off at school. And we were trying to grapple with how is the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, but it isn't actually the physical presence of God. You see, God can't be contained in a box. So we're not saying that the Ark of the Covenant, you know, you open the lid and out pops the presence of God. We're not saying that. What we're saying is that the Ark of the Covenant, for some mysterious reason, God's presence enveloped it. And wherever it went, his presence went with it. It is his presence, but it's not his physical presence. And we'll look at that a little bit later on as well. But all we need to know is the Israelites carried this box around and in it and around it and enveloping it and following it came the presence of God. And the ark went with the Israelites wherever they went. They followed the presence of the Lord as this as the, the glory cloud that came around it. You can read about it further back in the Old Testament. But the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, captured by the enemies of the Israelites. And we read uh, further back in, in, in Chronicles and also in Kings that when the, glory de- when, when the Ark went, the glory departed. God's glory left them because the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. And the Philistines realized that there was power in this box that they thought they captured because they thought they could have it. And plagues followed it. And it was such a torrid time, they put it in with their, in the temple of their God. And the statue of their God fell face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant overnight. And so the Philistines said, enough of this, we're going to give it back. We can't cope with this. So they, they, they popped it back into Israel, just over the border in a place called Kiriath-Jerim. And on the border of the Philistine territory, there it sat. And King Saul was in charge of uh, Israel at that point, was, was overseeing Israel and basically ignored it for 20 years. So the Ark of the Covenant, we pick up the story, has been taken, has been dropped back inside the border of Israel, but is nowhere near Jerusalem. And Saul has ignored it. And we pick up in chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles. David, the king now, following Saul, is showing collective grief and regret for ignoring the Ark of the Covenant. In chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly, all the priests, and those who remained in the land of Israel agreed, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David says, look, we need to go and get the ark of the covenant back into Jerusalem. We need to to return the ark And through chapter 13, we then see them trying to do so. So they go up to to the place where the ark is, and they place it on a cart, and they start wheeling it back to Jerusalem. 
And they are praising God. And it says in verse 8 of chapter 13, David and all of Israel were celebrating before God with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. What a noise that would have been. And then the Ark of the Covenant slips on the cart. And a guy called Uzar puts his hand out, touches it, and is struck down dead. You see, the trouble is, you couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant unless you were a priest. The rules and the history of, of, of Israel and laid down way back in, in Leviticus law says you can't touch it. The priests are the only one who can do it. And so it suddenly had this moment, well, what are we, what are we going to do? Chapter 15, we see David trying again. But this time he realizes that he needs the priests to carry the ark. In verse 2 of chapter 15, it says, Then David said that no one but the Levites or the priests may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry them and to minister to him forever. In verse 13, we see, Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. You see, they put the ark on a cart, which is what the Philistines did when they stole it. But the rules were to put it on poles and carry it through their journey. Now, I'm not saying that we need to think about uh, getting some priests in to do this kind of thing. But actually, what we, can, what we can see from this is that the priests carry the presence of God. And the Bible describes us, a redeemed people, through what Jesus has done as a priesthood of believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that we're being built up to be a holy priesthood. And why? It says to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and proclaim him and his glory. Now, maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but if we are a royal priesthood, we can carry the presence of God. Bill Johnson says, the promise of the Father the coming of the Holy Spirit reintroduces us to the original purpose for humanity, a people suited to carry the fullness of God on earth. A people suited to carry the fullness, the presence of God on earth. No longer needing certain people to carry the presence in a certain way. We carry the presence and the fullness of God. We all do if we know the presence of God. And like the ark, we're not the presence of God. I don't walk around as the presence of God. I don't think that God is contained within me and only in me, and I let him out every so often to, you know, oh, I need a bit of presence here. We, it's a mystery. We carry the presence of God because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry the presence of God. It's a complete mystery. But you see, I think this idea of us all being the carriers of the presence of God is actually a bit of a stronghold in some places. There's a brilliant book by a guy called A.W. Tozer called Whatever Happened to Worship. And if I had to do a book recommendation from the platform, this would be one. It's quite a thin book. It wouldn't take you long to read. But it is packed full of challenge and encouragement and moments of, oh, they're sermons that he preached in 1962, but they are so relevant for today. And he talks about this in the context of worship. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, God calls us to worship, but in many instances, we are in entertainment, just running a poor second to the theatres. That is where we are, even in the evangelical churches, and I don't mind telling you that most of the people we say we are trying to reach will never come to a church to see a lot of amateur actors putting on a home talent show. Uh Um, I tell you, outside of politics, there is not another field of activity that has more words and fewer deeds, more wind and less rain. What are we going to do about this awesome, beautiful worship that God calls for? I would rather worship God than do anything I know of in all this wide world. I would not even attempt to tell you how many hymn books are piled up in my study. I cannot sing a lick, but that is nobody's business. God thinks I'm an opera star. And you see, I think think Tozer, he's strong in what he says, but there's something about it where actually I think we've turned... Uh, in, in, many t- in many places across the churches, we've turned the idea of worship into singing and music and what goes on on the stage. Now, I don't think we do that at Jubilee. We have a stage and we have musicians and we have people who lead us in our singing. But worship is all of what has gone on in the last six weeks in our, in our talks about outrageous worship. It's our sacrifice, it's our attitude, it's our positioning, it's our putting God first in every situation. It's saying, I've got a problem, where's God? It's, I'm, I'm feeling joyful, where's God? It's not fair, where's God? It's all of these things of going, where is God in all of this? That's my first port of call. Singing and worship is what comes as an outpouring of our worship at other points. Singing and praise and our sung worship when we gather here is our outpouring of our worship to God, our putting him first, a rightful place of where he should be. 1 Peter chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 just backs this up beautifully. We haven't seen him, it says. We haven't seen Jesus, but we love him. We haven't seen him, but we believe in him and we rejoice with an inexpressible joy. Why? Because of what he's done. Because of what he's done. Because of our position and our, our looking outlook of saying, this is what I believe. God, look at what you've done. You must take first precedence in my life. And Tozer is so annoyed in his book by the fact that people have turned it into this, if we can muster something up, if we can muster up enough goodness and enough outward-looking stuff, maybe people will come in and go, oh, that's good. This is good. Okay, I can can cope with this. You see, I think at Jubilee, we do things well in this area. I don't think we turn up to watch a band. I don't think we turn up to be spectators at church. But there is always the temptation Across worship teams, and I've worshipped in other churches as well, there's always a temptation to strive for perfection and to leave the worship to the professionals. And here's a little secret, okay? I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. Um, As a guitarist, I don't actually know where the notes are on a guitar. Um, I know where the chords are, and I know the shape for chords, but you ask me to, to, to find the note F, on a guitar, it would take me a while to work my way up a scale. I've never had a guitar lesson 
And to be honest, and I think many will testify to this, I really don't quite understand how keys work. Um, <laughs> I've got a capo, which on a guitar just changes the key, and it's, it's really easy. And I'm just, but the thing is, I know where to put it. If you ask me to play a key of A, I know it's capo 2 and the chord shape G. That's about as much as I know. I, 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 if, if there's any musicians around, I sometimes used to think that the first chord was your key that you were in. And I used to turn up and go, we're doing this in D. And then, bless them, the, uh, you know, the very um, loving uh, worship team would go, that's not actually D, I think we're in F. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but you know what, that's not to say that I, I, I'm flippant with it. And I don't want to learn. And I don't want to give my best. And I don't want to be the best I can be. But when our focus changes from the adoration of Christ... And we start focusing on the technicalities of music only. We start worshipping the music and the style and the setting. And we start worshipping the created rather than the creator. This morning, it was interesting. We, we, we had a, a longer time of worship this morning. But there's, there's some weeks where we're just starting to get to that cusp of, yes, actually... I feel like standing on the stage, worship leading, that we've we've kind of disappeared and God's taken over and we don't know where we're going. I think it was last week we, were, we, was, we had that moment of, oh, this is great, when songs just ping into their head and things just go. But we often are restricted by what we do on a Sunday morning in timing and that's why Just Worship came around. Just Worship came at that moment where we get to that point of saying, oh, we're, we're, we're getting somewhere. We've, we've shaken off our... Our, our thinking of the day and our hearts are completely pointed to Jesus and not the music. That's where we take off. And that was the idea of just worship. You see, the difficulty was with the Israelites is they were carrying the presence of God. But they weren't totally focused on him in the first place. When they got him on the cart, they weren't focused completely on what God, he wasn't central to them. The central thing was getting him back rather than, wow, look at the presence that we have. The Israelites might not have been completely focused on God. He wasn't central to them. He was on a cart. He was being tugged along by wherever they wanted. They were praising and worshipping around it, but something wasn't right. You see, we're all carried, yet called to carry the presence of God. Every single one of us here is called to carry the presence of God as a priesthood. We're all allowed into the Holy of Holies. Alex, that song earlier that he sang, give me the one my soul delights in. Give me the one in whom my heart is truly found. That was a heart cry of worship. That's what I want. I want that alone. I want Jesus alone. Now, some of you might be singing, hang on a second, Tom, you head up the worship team and you've just told us that actually the stage is not really the setting or, you know, is not really it. And uh, so should we just do away with the worship team? Should, should we just usher them out the door and say, thanks very much, we'll just all worship because we all carry the presence of God? Well, no, we don't, um, is the simple answer So um, to that. But we, we carry on reading through 1 Chronicles, and we are getting to the psalm in a minute, I promise. We carry on reading through 1 Chronicles. We find in chapter 15 a command to appoint singers. So the, in chapter 15, the ark is, is, is being readied and is being, uh, being prepared, and they've prepared a place for it to go. And then in 
chapter 15, verse 16 of 1 Chronicles, it says this. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed a big long list of people who I'm not going to read out. And then in verse 22, it's interesting, it comes up, uh, it mentions a guy called Chenaniah, who is the leader of the Levites in music, and he should direct the music for he understood it. The NIV, I think, translates that as he was skillful at it. So what I think we can see here is we're called to worship God, put him first, worship the creator, not the created, and carry the presence, but some will be called to lead the singing because they're skillful at it. Some will be called to lead instruments and to, and, to, and to bring about the sung worship in the place where God is to be worshipped. You see, David danced, it says later on. David danced around when you saw all of Israel in verse 28 of chapter 15. All Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting and the sound of horn and trumpets and cymbals and made loud music. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city, Michael, the daughter of Saul, the ex-king, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating. I looked up that word dancing. It's a whirling dance. It wasn't just a little, you know, Christian hop. It was a, it was a whirling, spinning dance because he was so excited about the presence of God returning to Jerusalem. What a sight. What a sound. There were the leaders of the singing and the shouting and the praising and the trumpets because they were good at it, because they could do it. There's no point in getting somebody up who to, to give them a, a trumpet if they can't play it, because we need people who can play and who can sing and who can, who can lead. But what was their point? What was the point of that? It still doesn't give us the point of what they were doing. And chapter 16, verse 4 Gives us a little bit of insight. Once the ark is in place, he said, then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. The singers and musicians simply create the atmosphere of praise. Nothing special. They're there to create the atmosphere of praise. They're there to invoke. The word invoke is, is a brilliant word in the, in, the, in the Hebrew. It's to extol or to petition or actually to properly remind. It's to, it's to stop and go, do you remember when? We can invoke God. We can invoke the memories of God and what he's done and what he's doing. We thank God and we praise the Lord. So we've come on a bit of a journey. We've understood that we all carry the presence of God. We are all able to worship. We're all able to do that. Putting God in his rightful place in our lives, at the centre of everything, and it's all for him. We've we've talked about the stage not being a special place where the, the, the holy ones come to worship, and we all sit and watch. And we've seen that worship in the context of what we do on a Sunday morning in singing is singing praises of an outpouring of worship because of what God has done. And secondly, we appoint singers and musicians to remind or to invoke or extol and thank and praise 
Rob once described us uh, as, as a worship family on the stage. We're seen like ushers at a wedding. We're not the groom. We're not the bride. We're not the main thing. We prepare the way, then we get out of the way. And I think if ever worship becomes about the people on the stage, we've lost something. Years ago, Soul Survivor did a a big thing at their church where they stripped the music away. And that's where the song When the Music Fades came from. And they took away sung worship because they realized that something wasn't right and that maybe that had become a focus, having sung worship. And it was quite a challenge at the time across the churches as to what is our worship and what is it? It's all about Jesus. So let's have a look then at this psalm. So we've got this context of of the Ark of the Covenant coming in and let's have a look at this psalm. We flip back to Psalm 96 and we'll look at it there. It comes out of this praise and adoration of the reinstating of the presence of the glory of God in Jerusalem. So three times we're told in the first couple of verses to sing. Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, it says. And then it says, tell all the earth, sing to the Lord, all the earth. Now, the writers, uh, the scholars seem to uh, think that this was talking about Jews and Gentiles, the whole earth, every single person. The excitement that come out of this moment of the Ark of the Covenant being returned was worthy for everyone to hear. Declare his marvellous works. Great is the Lord and so greatly is he to be praised. Everything else is worthless idolatry when compared to him essentially. The second part of, of, of the psalm is ascribe to the Lord all the families of the earth. There it is again, all the families, everyone, every person across the earth. Give him the glory, give him the credit is the word ascribed there. Give him what he is due. He's due everything because he has done and given everything. Give God the glory, all the earth tremble at who God is. And then verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Among the nations, go and tell, go and tell them exactly what has happened. The Lord reigns no matter what happens in the world it is established. No matter what happens, God has established this world and it shall never be moved. That's just a a wonderful verse to stop and meditate on for ages. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. What an encouragement. And then we see creation joining with heaven. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the seas roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest shall sing for joy. We don't worship creation but we worship the creator of creation when we see creation worshipping him. We don't worship creation, but we worship the creator of the creation as it worships him with us. What a turnaround this psalm explains about the Israelites at the time. There was a disaster at the death of King Saul. The ignoring of the presence of God. 
And now, suddenly, we have a great commission to tell the world of the greatness of God coming out of that situation. What a phenomenal turnaround. And that is where we end up, is we have a job to do. We go back to 1 Chronicles and chapter 16. After David's song of thanks to the Lord, which he's written, in verse 36 of 1 Chronicles 16, it says, Then all the people, all the people, it wasn't just the priests and the singers and those who were, were, were joining David with his song, all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And then there's this strange little bit afterwards where David leaves some of the priests with the Ark of the Covenant to minister regularly around it to, uh, to offer their sacrifices each day. And then in verse 39, it says this of chapter 16. He said, He left Zadok the priest and his brothers the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the burnt offering regularly morning and evening as they were meant to do. You see, this wasn't a one-off event for the Israelites. It wasn't a, the Ark of the Covenant's here, fantastic, we'll all go home and enjoy our lunch. He made sure that there were priests around the Ark all the time. And in the other places of worship around Jerusalem, now Gibeon wasn't far from Jerusalem, but it was high up. And it was a place where people would still go and offer sacrifices throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't just a one-off event. In our context, it wasn't just a Sunday morning. It wasn't just what we do here. Now, don't get me wrong, I love sung worship on a Sunday morning. As I said earlier, it's the outpouring of worship throughout the week. We all carry the presence and we're all called to worship wherever we are. And just this picture here of Zadok and the others being left at Gibeon, a local place of worship, we meet here, but we're apart for much of the week. Jerusalem is the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, but Gibeon has a place of worship, and we're going to station people there. We can think about Jubilee as our home place, I suppose. This is where we see and we experience and we, we, we are filled with God's glory, and we encounter the presence of God here. But we can't stay here. We need to go elsewhere during our week. We carry the presence, and we put God first. If you're going to indulge me, I'm going to flip back to Tozer and hold your heads, uh, hold, hold on to your seats for this one. He's uh, I was talking before the sermon, saying before before the service, saying, look. I wanted to say this, but Tozer says it so much better, so um, I might as well just read his words. So with this idea of what is our worship on a Sunday, it says this, We come to the Lord's house made out of brick and wood and lined with carpet. We are used to hearing a call to worship. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let us kneel before him. That's on a Sunday, and that is in church. Very nice, he says. Now, he wrote this in the 60s, so you must apologize for his cultural understanding of uh, people's jobs. But Monday morning comes soon. The Christian layman goes to his office. The Christian school teacher goes to the classroom. The Christian mother is busy with duties in the home. 
On Monday, as we go about our different duties and tasks, we are aware of the presence of God. The Lord, are we aware of the presence of God? The Lord desires still to be in his holy temple wherever we are. He wants the continuing love and delight and worship of his children wherever we work. Is it not a beautiful thing for a businessman to enter his office on Monday morning with an inner call to worship? The Lord is in my office. Let all the world be silent before him. If you cannot worship the Lord in the midst of your responsibilities on Monday, hold on for it, it is not very likely that you are actually worshipping on Sunday. Actually, none of us has the ability to fool God. Therefore, if we are so engaged in our Saturday pursuits that we are far from his presence and far from a sense of worship on Saturday, we're not in very good shape to worship him on Sunday. I guess many people have an idea that God is in a box. There it is again. He's just in the church sanctuary. And when we leave and drive towards home, we have a rather faint homesick feeling that we're leaving God in a big box. You know that's not true. But what are you doing about it? God is not confined to a building any more than he is confined to your car or your home or the office where you work. If you do not know the presence of God in your office, your factory, your home then God is not in the church where you attend. Ouch. (laughs) Now listen, I'm not suggesting that if we have a moment where we are feeling a bit blech during the week and God is not our first and foremost um, thought that we have completely ignored the presence of God. Um, brilliantly in his book, he talks about the fact that even if someone looks like they're not worshipping in the way that they did last week, it doesn't necessarily mean their heart has changed. It's just stuff gets in the way. Um, you know, There's moments, he says, where people in the family maybe don't quite show as much love as they did last week because things have just got in the way and they're tired and grumpy. But that doesn't necessarily mean your heart has changed for the love of the people in your household. But what he is saying is, look, On a Saturday, if you have lost the idea of where you were last Sunday and you've got to Saturday, chances are you're going to turn up to Sunday not feeling it. If you then ignore it on a Monday and go through the week forgetting God, God does not live here alone. He lives in all of us. By his Holy Spirit, we carry his presence. And so there's two things from today. Number one is we all carry the presence of God. And today we've counted a stronghold of of churches being a spectator sport. That you turn up to church and you just watch what's going on. Jubilee is not like this, I'm really glad to say. I, I don't see this. And it's an encouragement to us that we do this well. We worship together, we have contributions, we understand that it's not just leaving it up to the people on the stage. We uplift, we encourage one another I love the fact that we've, we've created worship gatherings um, throughout the year uh, for people who are involved in worship across the church. And we had somebody turn up who said, I don't want to be any part of the worship team on a Sunday, but I do it in life group and I'd love to just hang out with you guys and just absorb worship. And I was like, that is perfect. That is absolutely what those groups are about. Any form of worship across the church, sung worship, come and join and gather and we'll get those advertised when we can. Um, what I've actually arranged when we're doing them. Um, But that's the thing. We all carry the presence of God wherever we are. We don't worship only on a Sunday. 
We don't turn up on a Sunday, give our quick bit of praise, and then we go. Richard's talk a few weeks ago says we have an effect on other people where we go. And what I want to do, just as we close and we finish, is we've got a map over here. And what I want to do is a, is a prophetic picture, I suppose, across the church. And I'd love us to all take two pins and to go and stick a pin on the map where we live, where you live, not where we all live, uh, where you live. And then take your second pin and stick it either where you work or where you go to college or where you go to university or where you where you are during the week if you are at home during the week somewhere where you go regularly every week somewhere where you are carrying the presence of God and what I would love to see is this prophetic picture across the map of where we're carrying the presence of God from the center of solid hole from where we are here as Jubilee Church Julian Adams word talked about crossing boundaries, partnerships crossing boundaries into Kenilworth and Coventry and different places. We are called to be Jubilee wherever we are. David stationed people at Gibeon, a local place of worship. Where are you stationed in your local place of worship? We're going to sing as well, because I think that's appropriate. We're going to sing that song that we sung earlier, the new song we sung earlier. But while we're doing that, please go and take a pin there on top of the... uh, jubilee post box um for the offering and just just have a moment to stand back and go where are we where are we as jubilee where are we carrying the presence of god and where are we carrying jubilee culture wherever we go and then as you make your way back to the seats maybe find someone to pray with just ask them can you just pray that i'd be filled with the holy spirit again pray that i would take the presence of god with me to wherever I go and worship him in the other places where we are. We worship together here, but we worship together apart because we are all part of carrying the presence of God at Jubilee. So if we can get the band back, I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to, they're going to play through the song, but feel free to go and stick pins in a map as well. I've also put uh, a UK map because I'm aware that not everybody lives or works around here. So, um, Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for everything that you have done in our lives. What you've done through Jesus on the cross in redeeming us, setting us free, enabling us to walk righteously before you. And Lord, I thank you so much for what you do in our lives day to day. The moments that we don't even think about or recognize when you are carrying us and lifting us. Father, may that cause us to praise with inexpressible joy. Father, help us to turn our hearts to you in every situation, in every circumstance. Outrageously worship you by saying, where's God in this situation? Let's look at him. Father, thank you that we only we don't only worship here. We don't only worship because we sing songs on a Sunday morning. But we carry your presence. We carry you with us as we go throughout our week. Father, would you give us a renewed sense of excitement to do that? Lord, may we have more people getting in trouble in their offices for singing praise to you. Lord, may we have more people getting in trouble in our offices and in our workplaces for just spontaneous outbursts of praise because of the sudden realisation again 
of how incredible you are. Father, may we never be a spectator sport church. May we never be one of those places where we turn up to watch what's going on. Father, you are so awesome and so great. And we love you. So Holy Spirit, would you come, encourage us, inspire us, fill us again for the week ahead before we can come back next Sunday and celebrate with our family just what you have been doing throughout the week. In Jesus' name. Amen.